Mana 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 this is social disgusting. Welcome to Social Disgusting, a podcast where my guests and I discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves. I am Brandon, aka Brandon. I hope you're well. My guest is an actor, writer, creator, and seemingly omnidisciplined artist who has appeared as an actor in many things like The Office, Togetherness, and Halt and Catch Fire, amongst many others, and most recently the movie Spell, in which he stars and co-wrote, and the Mortuary Collection. Please welcome Barrett Hardley. Welcome. Hello. What a nice intro. Thank you. Yeah, of course. Thank you for doing this again. I appreciate your time. What'd you call me? Omni... Omni what? Omni-disciplined. <laughs> and I looked up omni to make sure I knew what that meant. It means all. I got to Google <laughs> omni-prefix, question mark. I'll take it. Yeah, it feels like... I don't know. It feels like you can make whatever comes to mind, you know, make that a reality. And it's really impressive. Oh, thanks. Yeah, it's it's funny. I've I've always viewed that part of me as a a failing, you know, like uh, really? that phrase "jack of all trades, master of none." Yeah, it's all and and I go like, well, I'll 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 figure I'll f- like see a project that I want to do, whether it's like building a piece of furniture or a sculpture or or writing a movie, and I'll kind of fi- I'll figure out how to do it and then i'll do it and then i'll get kind of bored with it and and move on which is probably from adhd um and and then so i'm like well i if i would have followed any of my projects all the way through if i would have just made any of those my life's work i think i could have like turned it into something uh and then but i never do but now i now i'm seeing like oh that's maybe not a trait that's holding me back maybe if i if I'm viewing it the right way, it's it's the trait that sets me apart, and I I should I should let that be my story, not hide that from my story, but be kind of the centerpiece. You know how we all tell kind of stories about ourselves, and uh, yeah. So now I'm now I'm kind of trying to grab onto the idea, like oh, I just make lots of stuff. I make as much as I can in whatever area I can, and maybe you know maybe people will latch on to me as a creator more than my creations. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. And I know what you mean, though. But, like, thinking about it, something could be said for being, like, really well-rounded, having a lot of different tools in the toolbox, as opposed to, I don't know, like, it's like it depends on how you want to look at it, but I would prefer to have a lot of tools in the toolbox than just one tool and knowing how to do nothing else comparatively. <laughs> yeah. You know, just worst-case scenario, something... You can't do that thing anymore. And in the scenario where you have the one tool, which is a weird metaphor I keep going with for some reason, then it's like, well, now what? Whereas you have a lot of different things, and not for nothing, but from everything I've seen in your art, it's really impressive the degree by which you do it. Like, it seems oh, like you. you really figure it out, and you accomp- it seems like you're accomplishing exactly what you're envisioning, as far as I can tell. I appreciate that. Cool. Yeah. Glad, glad to hear. <laughs> it's encouraging. <laughs> No, it, it's really impressive. Like I said before we started recording, former guest Colby Day is who made me aware of your art, and I've been looking at it ever since. And it's from the sculptures to the light boxes to the magnets. It's so many different things. And it's it's really impressive because they're done to such a high degree. You know, it doesn't feel like somebody's just like, well, I'm going to watch one YouTube video and just throw something together. <laughs> it feels like there's a lot of thought, trial and error, and like really trying to perfect it versus just slapping something together. You know, a, a, a lot of that, uh, thanks. 
I, also, I lose my train of thought so quickly. So you, you might have to remind me of what we were just talking about from time okay. to time. Uh, like, like now. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> catch me. Uh, well, just about I the had, different I disciplines had... and, and figuring it out. Just the degree by which you have to really invest time in figuring out oh, the yeah, things you want to yeah, do yeah. and really doing that. I mean, that's been a blessing and a, a curse for me. Sorry, I got a cat like scratching, <laughs> scratching cardboard right next to me. Yeah, it's it's a blessing and a curse because I'll get so into an idea and it, it I get very excited about ideas. That's at the core of me. Like the, uh, all the things that make me feel good right on the top of that list is the aha moment. Mm-hmm. where you're you get an idea so good and it connects on so many levels that I just get this physical rush and you know when you just want to like pound the pound your fist in the air and go yeah like <laughs> I've kind of like made my life where I can feel that all the time so I'm always on this kind of rush which means so and that and that, I get that through the whole creative process like if I'm gonna get into um, I got into making these light boxes. I found a I found this light box on the side of the road. It was like one of those cheap waterfall light boxes you see in Chinese restaurants where there's some kind of like magic going on where it looks like the water's moving and it I've never understood how it works, but I I so I found one of these on the road and I took it home and I opened it up and I and I went, "Oh, this is how it works." And it still didn't make any sense. Uh, and then I, I looked it up online and I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find a single tutorial. And, you know, like anything really? you want to do in the world, there's about 10 YouTube tutorials and a bunch of blogs and you can learn any skill. But this skill I could not find. Did I, that I make you want to learn it more? The fact oh, that you yeah. couldn't? Yeah. And, and that uh, because that made me think, oh, no one else is doing this. Like maybe there's factories in China who put these together, but I don't know if there's any like contemporary artist in America making one of these waterfall light boxes. So that made my head spin. Like, what could that be? Like, what kind of images could I put in there besides a waterfall? And I was like, oh, like a stadium. Oh, I could do my own art. And that got my head spinning. So I I just spent the last nine months like figuring out like, oh, I don't know woodworking. I don't know how to make a nice box. I don't know these materials. I don't know um, how to light this. I don't know like a cost-effective way to do any of these things. I don't know how to wire. And so I've just been learning these skills one after another um, and getting a little better at each one to the point where like I can make a pretty decent light box. I still have not like cracked how to make the waterfall motion effect, but uh, I'm getting really close to it. So it's 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 cool in that like oh I'm so driven to create and driven by these ideas but it's also brutal because at the end of the day like you have this creation and if if like the if you if you can't find anyone else to go hey that's cool or any you know enough to like want to buy one <laughs> you know um that's hard if you can't find an audience for your creations, I guess is what I'm saying. And I just spent yeah. the last 10 years on Instagram and and like no matter what I did, I couldn't grow a following. I, I stayed at like 3,500 followers for 10 years. And then every time I post a new invention I made, it would tank. Like the algorithm was just against me putting my <laughs> art up. And, and it was like so 
brutal. And so I tried Twitter. It was even worse. Uh, and then I was like, okay, fine. I'll try YouTube. And you put like 30, 40 hours in each video and you put a lot of love and craft into it, a lot of posts. And then, and then you get done with it and you get 50 views. And it was just like, it was really beating me up as a, as a creator. I, I was still making things nonstop, but I couldn't find my audience. And about a month ago, I finally took people's advice and got on TikTok and it's been, it's been so like such a crazy response. It's, it's a totally different way of, of the algorithm, like introduces you to new people. So slowly and in jumps and starts, like I'm building an audience, which I think is where Colby found me. And, um, and, and it's so cool to not just share my projects, but share my deeper love, which is like the process of making these projects. Yeah. And, and, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been really fun lately and really encouraging. Well, at least with TikTok too, that it could play to your comedy background as well. If you want to, like you can, it feels like there's a lot of creative freedom with the form of what TikTok is. As somebody who admittedly has only seen like a lot of the videos that tend to go viral, not, I'm not on TikTok, but it seems like a place where you can have a lot of fun. And also, you, like you said about the algorithm, it seems like it can be very, way more welcoming than a thing like Instagram or any of the other ones where I don't know what you have to do to crack the code for these, but some people do. And it's it doesn't make sense to me, but then again, that doesn't really mean anything. But TikTok seems like it, you can really grow an audience quickly if you really put the time in. Yeah, and and yeah, because like Instagram is just has just been showing me to my followers. Like, yeah. who are my friends? And my friends get real tired. It's like I follow a ton of comedians, and they're always using Instagram to promote their stand-up shows. And, like, you get really tired of seeing show posters. To You don't even see them anymore. You don't like them or favorite them. You don't retweet them. You just, like, ignore them. And so it's brutal for actors and, uh, and, and entertainers, too. But with, with TikTok, man, it's cool. Like... You get, uh, yeah, I can bring in all these other skills and I feel lucky in that I'm not just an artist, but like, oh, I've spent 25 years in comedy. Oh, I like, I've been in a ton of commercials and I've like written and made my own ad campaigns. So like, I understand marketing and entertainment so I can combine all these parts of, of, of who I am, which is now like I'm texting all of my all my like comedy LA indie comedy friends and going like, dude, you've got to get on TikTok. You, <laughs> you can just be yourself. You can like the weird things about you that you always hide from everyone. Cause you're embarrassed about it is that's, what's going to get you your audience is your, is the weird things that make you, you, that's what people want on that app. And, um, so I'm telling, I'm like, begging them to get on it because i think like i i know so many talented friends who just uh haven't broken through and i think dude come find your audience it does feel like very encouraging like you said it's everybody being them a lot of people seemingly they're plenty it's like anything else you know your content creators are playing to it and all of that but also there are plenty of people that seen the beginning momentum just by being themselves which is like a very inclusive nice thing and it feels refreshing as far as social media platforms go yeah, yeah. I, I see it as, um, I think a lot about creating and the philosophies behind it. Just my brain wants to crack open it like it's a problem and try to solve it. 
and and so much of it is it's i think i keep hitting this point again and again but like there's parts of ourselves we don't like and we hide from the world but those are the things that are driving us to be more interesting for instance you know the thing that drives me is i get bored and i grow to like I, I get bored with what I'm doing. I want to go explore a new concept. But that means I'm not finishing my old stuff. I'm not pursuing it to the to the to the place I think it could be. So I I feel bad about myself. Um but then I've been thinking like, oh, if someone's an explorer, like they give a lot to the world. Like they get in their boat, they cross the ocean, they find new lands and new people, and um bring back this information it's a really useful thing in society and uh but yet explorers probably uh all feel shitty all the time because the same thing that drives them to be explorers and seek out new lands and people is the thing that also makes them like leave home that makes them leave their loved ones behind and and um leave everything they have going on in their lives and, and leave and set out for the ocean. So they explorers always probably feel terrible about themselves, but you know, I think we just need to, if we can embrace these things about ourselves, we can see like, Oh, that very same feeling is the same thing that makes me an interesting, valuable part of society. Absolutely. To your point about like the, the things that you're, that kind of like you want to keep in the shadows. I feel like those tend to be the things that make you, who you are, the individuality of it. And it's almost like, you know, sometimes there's that fear of, of that individuality because then that, that makes you different and that feels ostracizing almost. And maybe I'm just projecting on the whole idea of this and that's probably true. But yeah, I don't know. Sometimes there's a vulnerability to that. It can be kind of scary, but that's also the thing that makes oh, for you sure, for uniquely sure. human, right? That's, that's what, who makes you who you are. That's fundamental to your being. Right. I don't know. It's easier said than done, I guess, but. Oh, yeah. It's a li- it's a lifetime process. Truly. It truly is. But I, I just I grew up like with the terrible self image. I, I, I lived my whole life depressed and I hated myself and and was embarrassed of who I am. And now that I'm I'm getting old, like the gift of age is giving me is is learning to like myself and learning to I'm learning to embrace me as a creator and take yeah. pride in who I am and what I can do. Um, and it's, it feels really good. I, I wish I could have, I wish I could have figured some of this out, um, when I was 15, you know? Yeah, me too. I feel like I'm, I'm getting more and more to a place of, oh, uh, who gives a shit towards so many things and not in like any kind of nihilistic way, but in a way that I seem healthy about like just letting go of those things, these different hangups as somebody with, as so many other people have anxiety and depression or just getting over that and just accepting the good and the bad and trying to be okay with that. Yeah, exactly. I guess my, my tweak on that is like the good is the bad and the bad is the good. It's, it's not two separate things. It's, it's that the bad drives you that every good thing about you is partially there because of the bad. You know, it's yin yang. It's, 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 it's not a new concept, but I've been applying that to my life. And, uh, uh, yeah. Anyways. Well, thinking about it though, I guess, yeah, they, 
each one contextualizes the other. That <laughs> that neither exists without the other. Yeah. So I guess yeah, that duality. Yeah, I never quite thought about it like that. Yeah. No, that makes sense. It's all it's all the same shit ultimately, and I guess it's just me um I guess it all boils down to me just trying to be comfortable with myself and getting over my own insecurities and just realizing it is what it is and just try to be, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. And and you know like it's like naming it. Once you name it, it takes all the power away from it. And you go, yeah. oh, these aspects of myself, my anxiety, my depression, my like need um, for people to like me, uh, me getting bored and distracted easily. Like, uh, oh, train of thought left again. <laughs> what were you just saying? Sorry. Oh, 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 it's naming it. It's like. Um, yes. It's like, oh, if you if you're alone at home at night and you hear a scary noise that you don't know what it is, it's terrifying, you know. But then as soon as you name it, you figure out what it is. You go, oh, it's not the worst case scenario. It's not a killer with an axe. It is a a fan, (laughs) an oscillating fan hitting the wall. Once you know what it is, it's not as scary anymore. And I think like once you see what what anxiety is, what my depression is, I see like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought. That, I, yeah, I think that, that's the way I'm like slowly coming to peace with myself. That makes total sense. I feel like to your point, like nothing can be as amazing or as frightening, intimidating as your own imagination. And the idea of something versus the actual reality. And maybe it's yeah. why, like, the, the first step is uh, acceptance. And that's the realization of the reality of it, right? Right. And maybe that's just what it is. Like, oh, yeah, this is a real thing. And then at least when you can define something or know it, you, you can deal with that. As opposed to the infinitesimal mystery of something else, right? Like, I can I can have that analysis paralysis big time. And I can also get lost in the mystery of something as opposed to to your point, like naming something and that's real. And it's, uh, and I, it's, you know what, I, I guess it for me, you know, it's thinking about it, it just boils down to trying to go with the current more as opposed to swimming against it and just, you know, giving in and not giving up, but giving in. Sure. You know? Yeah, sure. These are beautiful concepts. God, I wish I could just be like, yeah, I'm just going to do that and then flip a switch and then I do it. But <laughs> it's, it feels like, you know, it's one of those things where like, you know, it's all part of the journey, I suppose. Yeah. God, I wish it was just so easy, though. Alas. <laughs> I want to ask you, too, about Spell, which I watched last night. Oh, cool. What'd you think? Oh, I thought it was great. I really, really liked it. I, um, I'd um, initially started watching the Mortuary Collection, which, by the way, I only got 15 minutes in because I, I realized Spell was out there and wanted to watch that. But the Mortuary co- Collection is really cool. Dude, it's, really, it's, a- it's really well done. It's a fantastic movie. And I say that not as like somebody I say that because I'm in it, but like I'm I'm so honored to be in it. It is The Mortuary Collection is a movie. You can find it on Shudder. It's like a horror anthology and it's truly made by filmmakers and artists and and people who really cared about this idea. Like there's no budget, there was no studio. It was like This guy, my buddy Ryan, like, wrote a short film, released, made it, uh, wrote and directed a short film, like, seven years ago. And then um, 
proceeded to like doggedly raise money and make this movie through sheer will and like putting it, getting credit cards and putting his own money into it. Um, and, and so the fact that it's good is, is unbelievable. I think when people make a movie, the fact that it exists and it's finished and in the world is an unbelievable feat for an indie filmmaker. Uh, it is like rolling a boulder up Mount Everest. And then the fact that it can actually be good is mind-blowing. <laughs> I've said this before on the podcast. I just see every movie, just the mere existence as a miracle, let alone the ones that are so good, which feels, it feels impossible. Just with how difficult it is to get anything made, let alone to then make it, let alone to make it good. Right. And the Mortuary Collection, I'm, and I'm going to finish it, but again, I just wanted to, to watch Spell last night instead of that at the moment but it has a look it's very atmospheric immediately a very like haunted cozy vibe to it mm. but it's also clearly made very clearly made with love absolute love and i find that very infectious cool yeah what what you think about a uh, spell i don't i don't i don't hear a lot of feedback i i like wrote this movie and i'm i'm the lead of it and it's definitely like my baby, my proudest thing, but it's kind of, it got released into the world and the world is just like, has so much content. No one saw it. It didn't even make like a ripple. So I'm, I'm always like stoked when people want to talk about this thing I made. Oh, I, I legitimately thought it was great. Like, oh, cool. I really, like really, really enjoyed it. I thought your performance was great. I thought without going to the details, I thought it really stuck to the landing, which feels so oh, hard cool. to do. Really hard to do, it feels like. And unfortunately, with the recency bias of it all, that's the thing that tends to stick with you for any movie. But it really stuck the landing. And the, the um, I guess, Icelandic or Nordic actors also were great in that, too. Oh, yeah. We had so many. We shot it in Iceland. And yeah. um, we had, uh, yeah, they're all Icelandic actors. Like, there's a this guy in it. Magnus is his name in the movie. His name is Steindor. And uh, he... He, he's, he's kind great. of like famous in Iceland for being Buzz Lightyear because he does <laughs> when they dub it. It's him. He, <laughs> it's pretty great. If you've seen the movie Spell, you will realize why I would never expect that of all people, of all characters to be the one that he plays because he plays it so Nordic and stoic and he's very dry and he's got yeah. some really funny lines in it too. I did not anticipate that at all. That's amazing. Yeah, that was exciting, the casting process. You know, you make a movie and you go, oh, well, we'll have a bunch of Icelandic people in it. And then you go, oh, shit, now we have to find good Icelandic actors. And there's only like 30 people in that country. Yeah. What What are the odds we can find people who can pull off these roles? And then come to find out, like, there's this amazing actors community out there. There's like this thriving scene. And and it makes sense once you think about it, because like Game Thrones shot there, so many productions go there. But uh, yeah, it's it, it was cool, and it was uh, like I fell in love with Iceland. I've been three or four times, and actually, when I was, I went there alone on my fortieth birthday, kind of like uh, as a, you know, it was a big moment for me. So I sure. wanted to. I turned like forty, drunken in a field in the middle of Iceland somewhere. It was alone and there was like one horse around it was awesome uh, and i loved the country so much i was going oh, man i gotta write a story to come shoot here because everywhere you'd point the camera would be beautiful and then i talked to these 
I ended up meeting these guys and they're like, Hey, are you interested in doing like trying to make a movie with us? Here's the only weird thing. Like it has to be shot in Iceland because they were in love with Iceland. I was like, dude, I've already got so many ideas. <laughs> That's amazing. That's perfect. Yeah. That was the genesis for it. That's what I was going to ask. I was curious about what the impetus for making the movie were, you know, if it was that you fell in love with the country and then you dove into the, like the Nordic mythology element of it or. Yeah. You know, a lot of my ideas uh, start, I love to start by going like, what are the parameters? Don't give me like a blue sky. Don't tell me I can write any movie in the world. Cause then I'll be paralyzed. But if you tell me, we have a hundred thousand dollar budget, <laughs> yeah, and um, so we can't build any sets. Uh, and okay, well, let's do it in Iceland, where you can just walk around and have this amazing production value for free. And then, um, and then you wanted to be weird and spooky. Give me the genre. So that started. I started to build this story. Oh, this guy is kind of going crazy in Iceland. And then I had like, oh what if there's something magical? So I started researching Icelandic and Scandinavian folklore and then found this one story about this wizard named Lofter. Um, and I was like, oh my God, this like combines with all my themes so much. And so I bring that idea in and that changes everything. It brings life. And then, uh, and so that's, and you know, and it gave, um, uh, it gave direction for every scene. So I I like building like that. I, I don't like building from blue sky. Like gimme 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 the things and then I'll and then I'll build it out. I know people oh, I... write movies in totally different ways. Like some people start with characters or they'll start with a scene in their head and start with dialogue. I do that last. That doesn't make sense to me. I know what you mean. Like I feel like I need limitations or at least definitions of what to work with versus you know again that like i said before the analysis paralysis of if i have something to work with as opposed to every possibility on it i feel like i'll just mentally collapse and not know what to do but if you like oh well i have this much oh it's going to be here like that already forms something you can work with that that makes total sense to me yeah i was curious about this because i saw your um I think your your speech for the Film Threat Awards, where you're talking about <laughs> making this. But what I was curious about was, and I've talked to a lot of creators in a lot of different walks of life, but and a lot of like different film directors and screenwriters and things too. And I never thought to ask this for some reason. But just how difficult is it to make a movie, dude? It's impossible. Like I'm, a <laughs> we we had it so we skipped some tremendous steps. One, our budget was super low. We weren't trying to make a $300 movie. We, sure. we were trying to make a $100,000 movie. It ended up being $200,000 by the end. So we, uh, so we ended up getting – we found some funding right away for it. So that's a hurdle we didn't have. But the other hurdles are like – I think the filmmaking process is so intense. And then you know it's pre-production and then you're making it and then you spend a year in post – like scoring it and and then you bring it out to the world you publicize it and then a movie is just reduced to like maybe somebody will watch 10 seconds of a trailer and go like yeah. oh it looks like it sucks or <laughs> you know and then that's it that's uh but i think movies shouldn't be viewed as just like well i liked it or i didn't like it i think movies should be viewed not as like a creation 
but as 50,000 different creations. It's not one idea. It's the culmination of a hundred people each putting in a thousand ideas of their own, you know, like, absolutely. And, and that's again, like that's one of the brutal things about filmmaking that I don't, that's scary. That's the thing that no one likes to talk about. They want to hide like how incredibly stressful and heartbreaking making a movie is. But I want to do that thing I've been talking about where it's like, no, let's, let's take that weakness and turn it into our strength because like now I want to, sh I want to show everybody this movie and go like, it's wild that this scene exists because of these 45 reasons. And it only exists because all of these people were, were geniuses, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, um, I want to, I want to show people like, I mean, that's my new thing. I want to like, start showing people why other people's art is good and um that the process of making something is oftentimes like way more interesting and valuable than the than the end product itself oh that, that makes complete sense too and it kind of reminds me of why and they don't really do them as much anymore which sucks but i always like listening to for example like film commentaries because mm -hmm. you just get a sense of when you think about, to your point about all of these decisions that were made, the culmination of all these things, and that it's basically a miracle to get a movie made, let alone a good one, like I said before. But the fact that it's ostensibly that end product in relation to all of everything that it took to get there feels like a blank canvas that you're projecting a lot onto. So to get, you know, so to get um, the commentary, to get the background gives you a, oh man, it's, oh, like, that was not even intention or, oh, this just happened because of limitations. Just little things that make you appreciate how fucking difficult this art was to make, to be made, <laughs> to give you that added appreciation. I love yeah. that. Yeah, truly, I, truly it's filled with the lowest moments. Like what, what's an example? Like it's humbling. It's a truly humbling experience. Your ego doesn't really make it out of it. Um, because you make a movie and you go, oh my God, somehow I think it's going to be good. And then you play these fantasies in your mind. You're like, I wonder if we can get in a Sundance. I wonder if we'll like do well at Sundance. I wonder if it'll be the best movie at Sundance. And you know, you, you don't say these things out loud because it's kind of embarrassing, but <laughs> your brain thinks them and part of your brain goes, maybe we'll win Sundance. <laughs> and then you don't get into Sundance. And you go, oh my God, that's that's brutal. Maybe we can get in Tribeca or something. And you get into none of the good festivals. Uh, I say good in quotes. None of the but the ones that will get you visibility, right? Yeah. And then you go like, oh, I, we just got into like the LA Film Fest, a thing that doesn't exist anymore. Like, yeah. oh, that's um, that's harsh. And then you it breaks your ego so much that then you go, thank God the LA Film Fest liked our movie. You know, you're so humbled that you, you're you able then to see, like, what a blessing it truly was. Like, how amazing it was that somebody saw your movie and picked it up out of the pile of a million other movies and said, like, this, this is something we're excited to show people. And then, you know, we didn't win any awards. Uh, well, we won a couple... Um, awards but then that film threat came along and it was like 
you know, I didn't get to do any press for this movie. I had fantasies in my head of of doing like red carpet interviews and all that, and, and none of that really came to play. And then I, and then this website, this cool YouTube channel, was like, "Hey, come out to a come out to we you you're up for an award." And we came out and we won a bunch. And I was really stoned and had a bunch of drinks and gave this speech. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to I'll have to find that again, put it on TikTok. But anyways, yeah. long story short is it's it's a brutal experience, but at the end of it, you come out like very humbled and truly appreciative of um, of any kind words about it. It, it's right, it sounds like I'm saying a dark thing, but I'm saying like it's it's a truly beautiful experience. I don't doubt it, and I'm glad that I've discovered it or that I. I looked at your IMD page, IMDb page, and I was like, oh, what's that? Looked at it, found it. Also, side note, I forgot that Tubi had ads, so it was very jarring that I was watching a movie, which has a very like specific tone to it, <laughs> and then suddenly cut to an ad about shingles, and I was like, what is happening? And I was like, oh, yeah, <laughs> this is a real tonal shift for this film. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. It was very jarring, and then it went back, and then we were good. But So funny. Yeah, I man, it had a really, like... Uh, there's a dry sense of humor element, but it was like a very foreboding tone to it. And like you said, it feels like you just point a camera in Iceland and then you you have beautiful landscapes everywhere. Like yeah. just a beautiful atmospheric shot that really lends itself to the tone and vice versa. Really enjoyed it. It's great. I highly recommend oh. it to anybody. Oh, cool. Thank you. How did your uh, exhibition at the Hive Gallery go? It was cool. It was... Uh... You know, it's the same as everything I'm talking about. It was cool and it was humbling, and now I'm trying to appreciate what it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you talk to an artist, they're gonna they're gonna see the negative and, and everything. But it was it was cool in that I was asked. Um, I haven't been part of many gallery shows, so like that was an honor. And then it was cool too because I have been kind of like doing making these miniatures over the years. And some of them I hadn't finished and some of them I did finish, but they've got like the cats wreck them. So it was like two months of frantic, I frantically trying to push all these projects over the finish line to a place where I'd be like really excited for people to see them. And then, uh, so that was cool of like forcing myself to finish these things. And it gave me a real sense of pride that I hadn't, felt up until that moment and then and then the show was fun um i think i sold like one small one small piece so that was kind of humbling but also you know i I don't know if this is the answer you're looking for (laughs) no but your uh, answer is your answer but now i'm you know that's the artistic process is is being stoked about things and then hurt by those very same things and uh, anyways, it, it was cool. I don't think I'm going to do many gallery shows anymore. Like the thing I didn't like was, oh, say, say you go, okay, I know what I put into this piece. Uh, it's, it, I'm going to say this is worth $500. And then the gallery goes, great. It's, we're putting it for sale for a thousand dollars. A gallery marks everything up by a hundred percent. Which means like now it looks like you're asking the most obnoxious prices for your piece. When in reality, all you're trying to do is kind of break even time-wise. Yeah. Um, and I, I just had like such 
this is why another reason I'm stoked about TikTok. Like, it's it's so much more useful as as a selling tool. Like, no one's taking fifty percent away from me, uh, and then I'm getting way a lot more eyes. It, it's 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 cool. I'm still very much learning how to sell things, how to sell my art, not just like technically, not how to just do an online store, but also like mentally. How do I price my work? How do I feel good when it sells or doesn't sell? You know? Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I, I know it's a more literal thing, but getting eyes on your stuff and pointing them to your online shop as opposed to having to go through some middleman or, or a gallery that's going to market up by 100%. I didn't realize, and maybe that's just the gap. I didn't realize that there was that much of a markup for things in I did galleries. Not, I did not. That's either. wild. Yeah. That's a lot. So next time you go in a gallery and you see a giant price, just know like the artist is not getting most of that. That's good. To, that really is good to know, though, because then it's because all, for all, you know, I know or anybody else that sees it, it's like, wow, you know, that is my perception of what they think of their work. And whether I agree or not doesn't matter. But there is a dramatic difference between a thousand dollars and five hundred dollars. So I just didn't realize. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's wild. I guess the other thing is, is like a gallery. Listen, I put things on TikTok. Every a lot of people are going to see it, but a lot of people are going to go like, "Oh, I think art should be like five dollars." <laughs> so yeah. you don't you're not going to like run into a ton of people who are like, "Oh, I'm a big time collector who would who like puts thirty thousand dollars in art, like buys art for thirty thousand dollars." So, but a gallery does give you that, which is interesting. A gallery I'm... has like curated collectors. I'm fascinated by the art world in general, to be honest. I think it's just, I mean, it's just, I don't know. I don't know what to say about it outside of like, I feel like the catch-all term of it's fascinating of how it works from the high-end art world. And, you know, last year I watched a documentary about it, about just a lot of rich people getting swindled by fakes. And you watch it and you're like, yeah, they deserve that. Fair enough. Because it was just like, you know, decoonings and fake things like that. And it was, yeah, uh, it's a wild thing. Uh, I think I think the art world is so gross. It's it's just yeah, it's so incestuous. It's it's like nepotism. It's rich people. Uh, it's just a lot of gatekeeping and so much just, gatekeeping. Yeah, I, I'm not. I don't have a taste for it at all. I feel like the culture is so gross and pervasive that it it drowns out whatever I may think about the art itself because it doesn't really matter. I guess in a way because. The only access I'll get to it is probably some print in a museum, mm -hmm. and it's a lot yeah. of yeah. it's a lot of just people buying these things and hoarding them only for them to see them when they weren't made. At least some of them for that purpose <laughs> to begin with, and it's kind of yeah. both like this. It's just so cynical and such a fucking bummer. Yeah, and art is also like, why is art good? Because it's famous. Like I, I, I went to the Louvre one time, and you go in the room with the Mona Lisa. Have you ever, have you ever done that? The Mona, I've not been to the Louvre, but I've been to a lot of art galleries outside well, of that. So the the Mona Lisa is in this. It's a this, this little dinky painting, and it's in this mammoth room, and yeah. they never show you the when people are taking pictures with it. It it's like. It looks like it's an intimate setting. When in reality, there's about a thousand people in that room. I don't think I'm exaggerating. Hundreds and hundreds of people, each like pushing each other to like just take a picture of this one painting. Meanwhile, there's dozens of incredible artworks on all of the walls. No one's looking at them. <laughs> you know, like probably 
better, more interesting art pieces. And then, but nobody cares because it's, it's not actually about how good the painting is. It's more about like how famous it is. So that, I, I had friends that went to the Louvre, uh, they went to Paris on their honeymoon and they went to the Louvre and they took a photo of, to your point, all of these people, layers of people huddled, huddled around this tiny painting. And they were like, yeah, it's fine. But then they showed me all the photographs of all of these other paintings that were there and many of them like in close proximity to that and how, A, nobody was looking at them anywhere close to anything like the Mona Lisa, but how much better they are, how much mm-hmm. more interesting mm-hmm. and how much more like evocative they are as opposed to the Mona Lisa, which just has like the ultimate ubiquity in art. Yeah, it's 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 wild. Yeah, I guess it's like that's the one everybody knows. So it's not as uh, memeable or whatever as other things, but yeah, I don't know. It just doesn't seem like as, as maybe as an enriching experience as so many other things <laughs> that get short shrift by comparison. Yeah. But also I was totally one of the crowd people pushing my way to the front to get to the picture. Probably your friends were too. Like we're all guilty of it. Don't get me wrong. I would be in there. Absolutely. Cause it's like, it's, it's so famous. I mean, you know, so much about it, but it's one thing to be able to see it in the one place that it's available to see in the world. Like, how could you not? I don't blame it. I would be, absolutely do that. Yeah, I guess it's the same as if, like, there was a historical figure that is hanging out in that room. Like, oh, you, you want to go see Abraham Lincoln, the actual Abraham Lincoln? He's sitting <laughs> in that room. Well, yeah, there would be a thousand people pushing their way to take a picture of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and yeah. you're ignoring I mean, all the other people in the room, even though they may be cooler and more interesting. Well, look, if it's Abraham Lincoln, I'd have a lot of questions. But especially just the idea that it is wild that this person, of whom I know so much, is in this same place in this giant world as me right now. That is wild, and it's really cool. And how and I, I wouldn't be able to help but be swept up in that. Yeah, yeah. It's Abe Lincoln. How could you not? You gotta go see Abe. He's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame, amongst other things. Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, he is. He's a wrestler? He was a wrestler for a time, yeah. Well. Pre, pre-president, pre but yeah. Now I'm coming out of this podcast with like some great trivia. Yeah, that's that's one bit of trivia. that he was in, He's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. Which I learned <laughs> not, from another podcast. Not post-presidency, just to be clear. Not post-presidency. <laughs> It'd be amazing if it was interpresidency that he was an, a wrestler <laughs> slash president at the same time. The great emancipator, both in life as a president, but also, hey, if that's his wrestling name, that's pretty good too. That'd be nice. The the great emancipator. <laughs> yeah, I want to ask in general, and maybe you don't have anything, but one of my favorite shows is Halt and Catch Fire, which you were on. Oh yeah, with great actually show. former guest Lenny Jacobson. Love oh, you got a Lenny, man. huh? He's great. What a nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's so cool. He's he's such a nice guy. How was that experience? Because I truly love that show so Man, much. Man, that was fun. From my perspective of being on it, I had I had seen some of it and like really loved the actors. I was very excited. And then it shoots in Atlanta, so I got on the plane. They're flying me out and it sat next to Lenny, and then we hit it off. Like we played uh, brothers in that show, and then we we like instantly became brothers. I think we. We like uh, we were there for over a week for some reason, and staying in hotel rooms right next to each other. So that was a blast. And then you, and then actually they brought us back a, a later season, so we got to do it again. 
and and just like the uh it it that whole show is fun like you get cool costumes and they you get the uh and the sets were really cool like one episode they um they put on a whole convention which yeah. if you can imagine like a tv show budget is pretty tight and then to go like oh we're gonna create an entire convention hall like who's making all those booths who's like putting props in them? who's making all the fake signs to hang up in this convention so the fact that like they did that and populated it full of actors in period costuming like again the the process of it is so much more interesting than the actual scene and then you know i'm having this great experience being on tv is amazing because it's an experience i would pay to do and i get paid to occasionally paid to do it so i got to go and like do a scene with with scott uh scoop mcnary which is like just this amazing actor and the other actors are yeah he's so good the whole cast is amazing and everybody was nice and uh yeah, I was I was stoked to be a part of that show. God, yeah, I I can imagine because I'm remembering the the convention now for a show that I feel like is is being discovered after the fact now, maybe more than it was watched at the time because I watched it from the beginning and it feels like kind of a miracle that they got as many seasons as they had because it just wasn't it was more critically acclaimed than it was viewed right. at the time. Yeah, but they really like seem to squeeze every cent out of that budget. It always looked great and it never looked restricted at all. Yeah. They did. They did good. There was one, um, one little thing I remember. We were shooting at the convention hall, and um, Lee Pace, who's the star of that show, was in the scene. And um, Lenny and I went out back during a break. I think we went to Craft Services, which is this table with a lot of snacks. It's free snacks. It's amazing. Uh, so we're filling our pockets with the free snacks and this woman kind of like comes up to us who was not part of the production and asks like if we know lee and we're like oh not really and come to find out like (laughs) it was this kind of uh i think she she english was not her first language i think she had like come from japan and so it was like trying to communicate to us like she really wanted to see lee pace and she was like pretty uh pushy about it and we're like listen oh. we don't know him that well <laughs> we're and also you're scary so of course we're not going to do this but we told one of the assistant directors and who told lee and then and we just watched like lee like walk right out go say hi to her and like like oh he wasn't afraid that she would be a stalker or I, I I don't know why I'm telling the story so negatively. It was really cool to see him like embrace fans. Uh, I was like, "Oh, get this get this crazy away from me. I'm scared." Yeah. But he's like, "No, we got to embrace the people who like you." I know there's boundaries and everything, but I, that's a little lesson I took from that is like, "Oh, I need to be I need to like embrace the times when people are uh, are like enthusiastic about my work. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And he he also seems like a very charming guy. Just presence for days, at least. I mean, it certainly comes off on the screen. Like he has a lot of presence. It helps to be a six foot five gigantic human. Yeah, it's really impressive. He's perfect. That role was perfect for him. Yeah, for sure. I meant to ask too that during all this, has it allowed you to focus more on your art? Is that 
are you focusing more on your art, I suppose, um, during all of this, or was that, are you doing it at the pace that you were previously? Um, art has always been this, like a private thing I did for my own edification. Mm. Like, uh, I wasn't trying to make money on it. It was so over the years, I would like definitely always be creating, but, uh, but the filmmaking in my acting career is, um, it's really feast or famine. It's, and the, and there's been some really nice years, uh, where I got, uh, complacent because I, I, but now I've, I'm in, in the middle of uh, a famine season, you know, with the pandemic. And even before that, like, uh, a lot of things changed and I started to feel this panic of like, Oh, I, I, I want stability in my life. And I think I can do that through art. So I've been like feet like for probably a year and a half now, just working nonstop, like at, for an unemployed actor, like I get up every day and put on an apron and work and create and try to develop new products and, and try to like, push my own boundaries and and now i'm promoting and making videos so uh yeah it's it's been like a really intense creative journey for me but but i can see myself growing and expanding and that's like i'm always stoked to see that and i'm like and i'm loving it because like i said i love i love a good idea so i'm just uh it's kind of a drug for me and i get to experience it like all the time God, that's that's such a win. Like to be able to oh, come up with sure. ideas, scratch that itch, actually have like a tangible thing to outside of just doing it itself and everything that leads up to it, but to to quantify like this thing that I cre I created this. God, that's so fulfilling. Yeah, and 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 it, and it was this journey of going like, what am I? Am I an artist? Am I an actor? Am I a writer? Am I? Am I, uh, I was in the ministry for a while. Like, am Wait, I a, what? a storyteller? Yeah. Yeah. I grew up really Christian. I spent a long time okay. in, in like doing like Christian comedy and I was a pastor for a while and it's just <laughs> wow. an old life Buried for me. the lead. That's <laughs> well, and then I go like, am I a pastor? What am I? Um, and, and then something clicked. During the pandemic, you know, I had nothing to do in those early days, except I went on long walks. I'd walk four or five hours a day. And I, I was turning this idea over in my mind. And then I realized like, oh, I don't want to be an actor. I don't really want to be an artist. I, If I got stuck doing that every day for the rest of my life, like I wouldn't be happy and I wouldn't be doing my best work. Like I want to find a place where all of those desires of mine overlap hmm. you know it, where where they meet on a venn diagram and that little space i think is the the place where i'm gonna be happiest i'm gonna be my make my best work and i'm gonna be like more interesting so for me it's it's again this is why i keep like harping on this theme of the things that you think are your negatives are your positives like once I embraced that and I went, oh, I'm a guy, I'm not an actor or an artist, really. I'm just a guy who likes a creative challenge and like creatively likes to break down ideas. And once I embraced that, now I, that freed me up 
to do like, sure, I'll act, I'll do art, I'll do anything creative because now I know what drives me. Is it also the ability to be able to pivot to each or any of those things whenever you feel like it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's my yeah. ADHD too. Yeah, I'm pi constantly pivoting and working on this project. Then I'll go over and work on this project. But, you know, I probably have, no lie, probably 40 different projects going right now. Some of, of all different not... different forms of like art, writing, yeah. anything? Yeah, I'm I'm working on, I have two different writing partners working on two different screenplays. I'm like pitching a TV show. I'm making magnets. I'm like, I'm working on seven different kinds of light boxes. I, uh, I have another friend who we're trying to make like these really magical Pepper's Ghost effects. Um, oh. God, I just have so many things going on. It does get overwhelming once I, I'm like looking around my room, getting overwhelmed at everything, but, <laughs> but also like, it's a joy for me. And, and if I can, I will see if this next year or two pays off. I don't know how long I can like pursue this with my whole life because money's uh, running out, but as long Same as bet. I can keep pursuing it, man, I'm, 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 I'm going to be pretty blissed out. <laughs> that's the dream but you know speaking of the light boxes too that the magic light box that you most recently posted about is i i love it man oh, it's entrancing you. it's cool. magical it really is yeah you gotta see it uh in person sometime like i it's i'm bragging about it but it's i made it <laughs> i made one i went holy shit i'm on to something and i've never seen anybody else do it either I've never seen anything like it. It's like a, it's like a magic lava lamp in in lightbox form. It's entrancing. It, I I could stare at it. I feel like for hours. And the fact that I it, is that effective through a video, like I can't imagine what it is in person. Oh no, it's all like real. It's practical. There's no screens. It's it's like I, it's uh, I I again I had to learn so many skills. So I had to learn like resin pour. But it's pouring like a layer of resin and coloring it with alcohol inks. And um, and then you do another layer and then you do another layer. <clears throat> and I do a bunch of tricks to it to give it real character. And then I, I've developed like that you put a, a, a light lights behind it that can change colors on cue. And it just like it makes different colors pop out of the resin at different times and other colors go away. So it's all very practical it's a delightful it's a very delightful magical kaleidoscopic effect and <laughs> it's great it really is it's so cool cool i'm glad to hear that thank you yeah it feels good it feels good to hear that i mean this has been my baby idea for about nine months so i like let the world peek at it it's not ready to like take out and put into production but uh it's getting closer and i'm excited about it if I see that in your shop online, that I might have to pull the trigger on that. It's, it's it's very cool. Oh, cool. But we've gone past what I promised, so we need to wrap it up. But what all do you want to point people toward before we wrap it up? Um, check out my site, barracardly.com. Uh, if you want to see what I've done or see what I've got up in my shop, I'm always like putting out new art. I just put a bunch of magnets and pins out there. And also, like, follow me on TikTok. I'm, it's fun. I'm a fun follow. But, yeah, thank you for doing this. This was a delight. Yeah, it was fun. Thanks for having me. It's fun to talk about this stuff. Yeah, of course. 
Thank you all for listening. Please stay safe. Please take care. Get vaccinated. Get the booster. Lean with kindness. Lean with empathy. Do right by yourself, but also do right by others. And yeah, thank you for listening. Take care. Goodbye.